You are listening to the sermon, It's All About the Gains, from the sermon series, Two Truths and a Lie, by Pastor-in-Residence Tim Jolly from Brian Baptist Church, originally taught on April 23rd, 2023. As Pastor Dan said, my name is Tim Jolly. I have the privilege for the last year and a half now to serve as Berean Kids Pastor-in-Residence, and it has been a fantastic year and a half. I'm thankful for this body. We are continuing our series today, Two Truths and a Lie. So it's now my turn to play. I don't know whether that's good or bad, but it's my turn. First, today, I once pitched a no-hitter while playing high school baseball for the Ashland Arrows up 20 minutes up the road in Ashland, Ohio. Second, I once spent a year traveling around the country singing with a Christian group, and the travel we did was on one of MC Hammer's old tour buses. Three, I have an unexplainable and irrational fear of popsicle sticks. So number one, no hitter for the Ashland Arrows baseball team in high school. Number two, a year traveling around the country singing while traveling on one of MC Hammer's old tour buses. Can't touch this. Stop. Hammer time. Number three, irrational, unexplainable fear of popsicle sticks. Who would vote number one as the lie? Got a couple, couple hands, okay. Who would vote number two, the traveling around on MC Hammer's tour bus? Well, one of those old tour buses as a lie. Who would say number three is the lie, the irrational fear of popsicle sticks? Unfortunately, it is not number three. <laughs> and I picked a great area of ministry to go into with the irrational fear of popsicle sticks, working with kids every week, I'll tell you that. The lie is actually number one. Congratulations. I did not pitch a no-hitter for the Ashland Arrows High School team. I did go there, but I did not play baseball. So congratulations, Pastor Dan. You called that one right out. Two truths and a lie. Guys, this world will tell you lies. And this world will tell you lies because the father of this world, the scriptures tell us, is the father of lies. And a lot of times children act like their father. And this is the point every mother in the room says, amen. But how do we know when these lies come at us? How can we determine when those lies do come, that they are actually lies. My wife, Melanie, used to work for a bank here in town for about 10 years. And uh, while she was working there, not long after she started, she met a really handsome, charismatic, eligible young man. And she broke up with him and then started dating me. And <laughs> now, the, now the rest is history. But I was studying the other day and I thought about this, and I texted her as she was working in the afternoon. I said, hey, did you ever encounter any counterfeit bills in your 10 years at the bank? And if you did, how could you tell that they were counterfeit? And this is what she responded to me. Speaking of counterfeit money, it's usually printed on different paper. There are strips inside a real bill that have the denomination written in small writing. We also had counterfeit detection pens that weren't always reliable, but would sometimes help. 
A counterfeit looks different, and it feels different. You can always tell a counterfeit by looking at the real thing. This world is continually passing counterfeit bills as real currency. It's trying to sell you and I a a bill of goods, hoping that the blind will stay blind and never know they're being scammed. Last Sunday, Pastor Dan started the series by opposing the idea of relativism, or that the truth is up to me. While this idea is accepted culturally, the reality is there is an absolute moral truth and is contained in the God-breathed words of the Bible. Today, our message for this series is titled, It's All About Them Gains. So let's take the truth of God's word and turn together to Matthew chapter 6. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, and our focus today will be in verses 19 through 24. Matthew 6, 19 through 24, and we see Jesus say, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust decay, or destroy rather, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how Great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are. God, you are good, you are right, and you are perfect. You are loving. God, thank you for what you've given us, this revelation about yourself contained in the Bible. God, as as we examine your scripture today, I pray that our hearts would be stirred, our lives would be changed. God, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A rich man, well-known in his small town, was well-known because of his wealth, but he was also well-known because of his countenance. Most times when you would encounter this man, he'd be miserable, he'd be grumpy, he'd be the most short-tempered, mean person in the town. But there was also a minister in this town, who was known as just a simple man. And one day the rich man went to visit the minister. And after talking with him for a while, the minister had an idea as to how he could show this man what was out of place in his life. So he took the rich man over to the window and he said, I want you to tell me what you see. The rich man looked out the window and he said, I see men and women and children outside together. I see the kids playing over in the grass. I see the 
trees and the flowers blooming. I see these clouds in the sky and I see the birds taking their flight inside of them. The minister said, okay, now let's walk over here. And he took him across the room and he stood him in front of a mirror. And he said, now tell me what you see. The rich man's countenance dropped. He says, well, obviously I only see myself. And the minister said, interesting. See, the window is made of glass and the mirror is made of glass, but when you add a little bit of silver, the only thing you can see is your reflection. And isn't it interesting? As soon as there's added a little bit of silver, the only thing you're able to see is yourself. Our text today is right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that begins in Matthew 5 and continues through Matthew 7. And in Matthew 6, Jesus' focus is on a battle between an earthly mindset and a kingdom mindset. I use the word battle for two reasons. Number one, because of my own experience. I know what it's like to relate to the words of Paul when he says, man, the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things that I, I want to do, I don't do. It's a constant battle of the flesh. I can think back in times in my own life where the only thing that concerned me was the pleasures I could make a reality as quickly and as often as possible, being drawn away by my own desires and eventually birthing sin, as it tells us in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. But secondly, it's most importantly based on God's word. Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Make no mistake, there is a spiritual battle happening all around us for the souls of men, women, and children. For those of us that have believed the gospel, our souls are securely in the hand of a good and gracious Father. And we can never be plucked out. But the battle still rages for the affections of our hearts. And in this battle, we encounter this lie, our lie for today, that life is about what you can gain right here and right now. Life is about what you can gain right here and right now. And I would venture to guess when we think about gains, our mind immediately goes to and pictures money and material possessions. And we would be correct in assuming that because Jesus is directly addressing those things in this passage. The Bible has so much to say about money and possessions with the overwhelming majority of them being warnings. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth in Matthew 6:19 which we just read. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. Keep your life from the love of money. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. And Proverbs 23 verses 4 through 5 tells us, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. The Bible talks about money like my mom used to talk about stuff that went missing in the house. I have two older sisters. 
And inevitably, a few times a year, we'd be sitting around and my mom would come to us looking for something that wasn't where it was supposed to be. And of course, we did what any child would do. We looked at each other, I didn't touch it, did you touch it? No, I didn't touch it, did you touch it? No, I didn't touch it, Tim had it. I was the youngest, I always got blamed for everything. But after a while, my mom would just get frustrated and she would walk off and as she was walking off, she would say, fine, I guess it just sprouted legs and walked off then. Sounds like a mom. But this is exactly what the Bible is talking about. This is exactly what it's telling us. That it's here for a while and it disappears. It's gone. Do not lay up treasures on earth. Those who desire to be rich are plunged into ruin and destruction. God warns us about these things. And before anyone gets mad at me, I'm going to quote Pastor Mike Wells. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's a sin to have money. I'm not saying it's a sin to have possessions. It's good to save and plan. God blessed Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He blessed King David, King Solomon, and others like Cornelius and Lydia, Aquila and Priscilla and Philemon with wealth and possessions. Warren Wearsby, a great scholar and a man of God, said this about this passage. Nowhere did Jesus magnify poverty or criticize the legitimate getting of wealth. God made all things, including food and clothing and precious metals. God has declared that all things he has made are good, Genesis 1.31. God knows that we need certain things in order to live, Matthew 6.32. In fact, he has given us richly all things to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6.17. It is not wrong to possess things, Wearsby says, but it is wrong for things to possess us. This warning, this earthly versus kingdom mindset boils down to the issue of idolatry. And it's easy for us today to think, idolatry, we don't have to worry about that. We talked about this down in, in base camp with the kids just a few months back, talking about the people of Israel. We don't think about idols in our life. Like, I don't have a golden calf sitting on the dining table in our dining room at home that I bow down to every day. We don't have a problem with idolatry, but idolatry, there's a warning here for us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, be careful, lest he falls, because idolatry is simply allowing anything in this life to take the number one spot away from God in your life. Now let's go away from money for a second, because money in verse 24 here in Matthew 6 is a Greek word mammon that also means possessions or stuff. Let's ask ourselves this morning, do we deal with the idolatry of popularity? People know me and they like me. But man, we have two different opinions on this thing over here. The Bible is clearly against this. And if I speak truth about that, if I tell them I believe this, I might not be as popular as I used to be. And don't make a mistake, that's not just a problem for people that are 18 and younger. That's a serious problem for us as well. What about the idol of power? I'm the one in control. I'm the boss. I'm the one that controls and delivers on my destiny. And that's a real battle with pride. What about the idol of comfort? As long as my life keeps going like this. As long as this plan that I have in my mind works out, everything will be okay. 
as long as this political party is in the White House, everything will be all right. As long as my kids live up to the plans I have for them in their lives, everything will be okay. What about the idol of comparison? The struggle with comparison. Keeping up with the Joneses. Coming home from a house and saying, man, what I've got's not nearly as nice as what they have. Turning off HGTV or Magnolia Network and saying, man, we really got a lot of work to do around here. Parking next to that car in the parking lot and going, I can float the payments, right? Like, I can do it. Idolatry is a direct result of focusing on the gifts more than the giver. The blessing more than the blesser. And creation more than the creator. Do we battle idolatry that tells us life is about what I can gain right here and right now? In the face of this lie, I want us to see two truths today. Truth number one is this. Earthly gains will perish. Heavenly treasure is eternal. Matthew 6 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Have you ever invested time and money into something that just really didn't pan out? I mean, just really didn't work out. How many Browns fans we have in here this morning? (laughs) I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Trust me, I'm one of them, all right? Year after year, we invest time and resources and energy and emotion only to, at the end of the year, say, ah, next year, it'll be fine. Maybe next year, it'll be, it'll be good. I remember one Sunday afternoon, my son was just little. He'd think he was maybe three. We were watching the Browns play the Dolphins, and we're in the living room, and we're watching, and, you know, it's at that age where he still wants to be like me. He's 10 now. That doesn't happen much anymore. But we're watching, and he's saying, go Browns, go Browns. And I'm like, son, don't do it to yourself. Just don't. <laughs> You're still young. You have opportunity. You have time. A couple years ago, our family took a trip down to Kosai in Columbus. How many of you have been to Kosai? It's a great place. If you don't know what Kosai is, it's a science center where they have all sorts of exhibits and interactive things that the whole family can enjoy. So we get to Kosai. We see all the exhibits. We spend hours playing around. We got lunch in the cafe. We saw the Marvel exhibit that was down there, which was incredible. But I wanted to make it extra special. And they have this thing down there. It's a a motion simulator. You get into it. You get to ride it. You get to be launched out into space. All sorts of cool stuff happens. I'm like, I'm going to be the good dad. I'm going to get these tickets. We're going to hit the motion simulator. It's going to be awesome. Everybody else had the same idea that day. As we got down to that part of the building and we saw the line waiting to get into the motion simulator and the worst thing about it was you were never more than 40 feet away from the motion simulator so I started counting this is how my brain works right I'm like I don't like standing in lines I'm going to start counting the people in front of me okay they look like they're together they look like they're together I think these people are together okay 25 minutes tops We'll, we'll be good my hopes were quickly dashed I started counting the people in front of me and like okay these six are together well Two went in ahead and got in the motion simulator, and that kept happening over and over. One hour and 15 minutes later, 
we made our way to the motion simulator. To say I was disappointed would be a bit of an understatement. The motion simulator started to move, and I think I get knocked around more going over the speed bumps at Sam's Club when you first pull in the, the drive. When you went by things and went really fast, these puffs of air would come out. It was like a really bad glaucoma test at your optometrist. <laughs> Just going everywhere except right where it was supposed to. And finally, we got to the point where we were going through this asteroid field, and it was at that point I was like, I wish somebody would just hit me with a rock in the face right now. <laughs> that would be more fun than this. An hour and 15 minutes of waiting for a five-minute ride and a glorified baby bouncer. But that's what earthly treasure does. It sets an unrealistic expectation only to fail miserably to meet that expectation. Verses 19 through 20 say plainly that earthly treasures will either be consumed, decay, or fall victim to theft. That nice new car now has brake troubles and it's rusting away. The house that was once your pride and joy has more projects to be done and repairs to be made than there are hours in the week. If we think about the things we possess now, the main question we need to ask ourselves is this, what will it matter hundred years from now. Will what's important in my life really matter 100 years from now? Will they produce earthly gains that will be consumed, decay, and be stolen? Or will they produce treasures to be enjoyed for eternity in heaven? Will the ideals and the visions that I have for the lives of my children lead them to Jesus who will save them from sin and make them co-citizens of heaven? Will the way I spend my time lead me to invest in the lives of children, teens, and adults that will know and follow Jesus, building a generation of disciples who make disciples? Will the way I spend my money make an impact for the kingdom of God that will resonate for all of eternity? Will the way I invest my time, my talents, and my treasure outlive me? Because earthly gains will perish and heavenly treasure is eternal. But our second truth today is this. Earthly gains demand absolute loyalty. You must choose your master. Matthew 6, 21 through 24, we read again, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What we treasure is what we will take care of most. It's contrary to what we think. Most times we think if I care for something, then I'll put my treasure into it. If I care about it, that's where my money goes. I, I care to have my children have a good experience growing up and be well-rounded people, so I'm going to invest the time in taking them to a billion sports things this week and paying for this new lesson and investing our talents in where our kids can be fulfilled. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus teaches us that the thinking is actually opposite. He tells us that our hearts follow our treasure. If we want an easy way to identify what we treasure, we must simply look where we invest the most time, 
talents, and treasure, that's where we will find our heart. And the heart is an important issue. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. It tells us in Proverbs 4, verse 23. But it's not just the heart that we need to worry about, it's also our mind. This passage speaks of the eye, and God's word uses the eye to represent the attitudes and actions of the mind. And this eye, our mind, will only allow one of two things into the body. It will be light or it will be darkness. Am I only thinking of myself and what I can gain for myself right here and right now? Or is my mind fixed on God's kingdom and sending ahead what will last for eternity? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, it boils down to a choice. Who or what will you serve? Who or what will you allow to control your life? Jesus makes it abundantly clear in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It is impossible to have a foot in God's kingdom and a foot in the world. It is impossible to serve two masters. We cannot serve God and stuff. In Joshua 24, Joshua gathers all the tribes of Israel. He gathers the big shots, and they go present themselves to God Joshua delivers a message of remembrance to the people from God. It's a list of all the things God has done in his grace and mercy for the people of Israel. And he lists all these things to remind them of who God is and what he has done. God brought you, Joshua. He brought Joshua from Canaan, from where he was to Canaan. God gave Joshua Isaac. God sent Moses and Aaron to Egypt. God brought his people out of slavery. God parted the Red Sea, and the list continues until he says in verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As the band comes out, I'm going to ask them to come out at this time. I want us to read what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Verses 24 through the first part of 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would lose his life or would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We all have a choice today. Choose this day who you will serve. Will I pile up treasures for myself or recognize God's ownership of it all and use it to advance his kingdom? Will I keep my time to myself and my purposes or will I devote my time and service to advance his kingdom? 
Will I make my talents about my glory and how far I can go? Or will I use the talents I was given to advance his kingdom? Will I elevate gift above the giver? Will I elevate blessing above the blesser? Will I elevate creation above the creator? The hymn writers say this, My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. As summer flowers we fade and die, fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. But life eternal calls us at the cross. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light. But I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer. Greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone.